All right, people, welcome back to a very special Detroit is Different. This is like probably one of the number one different people that I've always known in my whole life. And this is somebody that I had the pleasure of growing up with and knowing my whole life. And also, she has her better half here who's like holding down the fort like more than I used to back when I was a kid. I have a very special guest and that guest is my sister Dara Harper. How are you? I'm great. All right. And also, David Harper, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. All right. So uh, let's see. Let me give a little bit of an introduction into Dar and myself. First off, when I was a kid, a lot of people called me Ditto because I'm a year and a half behind my sister's age. So that put me like looking up to my big sister more than anything. Always creative. Always one of the most... Um, eclectic people just naturally artistic in a lot of different ways so in a lot of steps that she's taken i've taken as well and just as opinionated and outspoken as i am is my sister dara harper if you've ever had the opportunity to meet dara and said that we look alike or we sound alike or we talk alike or, or we laugh alike yeah we laugh alike or anything like that my sister is a whole lot like me and it is all love to have her and her husband, David, in full effect right here in Detroit is Different for a podcast discussion. And we're opening up the mics and we're coming in hot because when I talk about being a creative, Dar does all types of things along with David. So I'm going to start with writing movies, writing plays, writing children's books, Coming up with different things creatively. Uh, right now, she's working on an animated feature. An animated feature would be something like, I guess, uh, Finding Dory or uh, The Lion King or anything that kids like. Um, and now she's a mother of my nephew, Solomon. So a lot of this is like just kind of come and follow suit. But ever since she was a child, she actually has been writing and coming up with children's books. She actually had a summer arts youth program that was funded through the city of Detroit. It was one of my first jobs. Uh, so I definitely think I either learned how to have a good work ethic or maybe a bad work ethic from that whole experience. <laughs> um, and when we talk about movies and plays, and I definitely think theatrically and when it comes to drama, that's her biggest connection. And that connects her to David. David's work as an actor, but also a lot of behind the scenes stuff. He's been in some major motion pictures. Like if you blink, it's like, ah, that's David right there. Right there. <laughs> like Khan hasn't seen one of my friends, Khan hasn't seen it eight mile. He's like, ah, ah, there I go. So David has some scenes like that. He's also worked on like the US Open. He's worked uh on other big stage events connected to NBC, connected to major motion pictures. He was a part of the great group of many black uh, crew people that got a chance to work on American Gangster when it was uh, filmed in New York, I believe, and a oh, lot yeah. of other things like that. And David comes from D.C. area. He's not from Detroit, but he's now a Detroiter. Detroit's definitely home. My transplant. So with that long introduction, and I had to give that long of an introduction for family, <clears throat> we can start this whole discussion. So how you guys feeling today? Feeling great. Feeling great. Feeling feeling really good to be here with you, Kari. I mean, I when you when you gave that introduction, it brought back so many memories of how we first began our creative journey together. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to uh, draw pictures together, uh, and long before I started to write stories, remember we used to have this circle where Dad would start a story, 
and then you would pick up a story, the rest of the story, and then I would go with more, and then mom would maybe add in a sentence or two, you know, like we would go kind of round robin and tell stories that way. We always came from a um, a free and creative space, and I think one of the things that was a big driver for me, for my creativity, and I'm sure you would agree with this, is that mom and dad limited the amount of TV time we had. We could only pick like one or two shows a day that we really, really liked, and then we had to do other things. And we used to fight over the, the old Macintosh, the, the little, the one with the, the colorful apple, the gray screen, that little box, because we wanted to both do computer graphics and make draw, make paint, to, um, to write stories and make word. You know, this is way back in the day in the 80s. Um, and especially growing up here in Detroit, um, Detroit is a very, especially growing up here on, on Clemens Street, this is a very rich place. Um, it's, it's so many, like when you look around you, there are characters everywhere you turn. And I'm so grateful that I had the experience to uh, grow up in the family that we did and also in the neighborhood that we did. It was always something happening. It was always lively. It was always uh, someone like sitting on the porch with our grandmother and listening to her stories. Uh, that was a big inspiration for me to write the one woman show that I did about our great grandmother, Minerva Rulak, passing. Um, there are so many things that inspire in this city. And it's something very special about the city because almost every time I hear about an artist or a musician, like there's almost always going to be a Detroit tie. Like whether it's like when I found out that one of the singers from the Eagles just passed away, I didn't know he was born here. You know, I didn't know that Courtney B. Vance, the actor who most people probably know most recently as Johnny Cochran from the O.J. Simpson uh, movie. And I know you were all about that. Yes. Uh, with Cuba Gooden Jr. as O.J., Yes. He actually made it work somehow, even though he doesn't look like OJ. But Courtney, he sure did. <laughs> Courtney he B. Vance sure did. is from our neighborhood. I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Detroit has so many talented people in the arts. And uh, there is something very special about this city. And I feel like, I, like, even though I've lived in Chicago and I've lived in New York, I always have that permanent Detroit connection. Uh, with getting started with writing, uh, for anybody out there listening, I would just tell them to sometimes like I remember when I was living in when I first moved to New York, I used to go to here at Barnes and Noble. There aren't as many open now as there used to be. They've closed so many because more people buying books online. But back at the height of it in the early 2000s at Barnes and Noble, the authors in New York would come out and they would do book readings. And I went to hear this one guy. He was actually from uh, El Barrio, Spanish Harlem. And he had just published his first novel. And he was reading excerpts of it. And I was in the audience taking notes. And other people were there. And then one guy raises his hand. And he said, you know, I'm going to be just like you, man. I am i can't wait to write my novel. I'm going to I'm gonna save up my money. I'm going to go to Paris for a year. And I'm going to write my book. And, and, it's, and it's, I'm going to find a, a, a literary agent. And, I, and the guy was like, hold up. He was like, you don't need to go to Paris. You can start right where you are. And and I think that's a big misconception. Like, I couldn't agree with him more. Start wherever you are. If, if you're in Detroit, it's a lot of things you can start with right here. I mean, Detroit has been an amazing experience. Like, it's, it's no place like this to do the arts. Uh, and David and I have had the pleasure of working with some great actors here from the theater productions that we put on. Um, 
you haven't done any film projects here, live action film. I've done some animation stuff, but uh, it's it's a wealth of opportunity here. We've also helped, we've taught some writing courses as well and seen the wealth of talent in that vein too. Um, like I said, this town is just rich with that. So I feel like wherever you are, start wherever you are and kind of set small goals for yourself uh, to kind of break up a big goal into small pieces that are tangible. So like uh, someone used the example of how do you eat an elephant? Like how do you achieve something that seems nearly impossible? You eat the elephant one bite at a time. You accomplish that goal one step at a time by breaking it up into bits. I mean, you said it perfectly. I really can't. I don't know what else to add to that other than I think if what's really important if you're pursuing, I don't want to say chasing your dreams, but living your reality of being an artist, um, definitely have good people on your team. Um, I think, you know, Dara and I, we've been married for almost eight years, known each other for 10 years. And <clears throat> the one thing that struck me about Dara when I first met her, we our paths crossed several times in different um in different events, whether it's the Urban World Film Festival or different networking events with different artists. Um the one thing that really struck me about Dara when, when we first got together and I got to know her really well was her family ties and her family roots and just how how uh supportive uh everybody in the Frazier family and extended family um, was about supporting the arts and the siblings in a way I haven't seen before. And I say all that to say when Dora and I got together as friends, then as, you know, dating, then marriage, which came in succession, literally one year of friendship, getting to know each other, next year dating, next year getting married. Um, in the year after that, in the year after that, year after that, having our son, <laughs> um, what it did on a on a personal level and on a spiritual level was bond us as a couple. But professionally, we brought things to the table to um, really enhance what we do. And and I think for me, as as uh, her husband and her best friend just watching my wife grow and when you hear me talk I'm gonna talk a lot about my wife I'm not saying that I don't I'm not as creative anymore but it's just like I said having somebody on your team I feel like um I'm gonna f I'm gonna fight for my wife and work hard for her um you gonna work hard for me <laughs> even more so <laughs> even so <laughs> even even more so than herself and that, that's what I mean like like I guess what I'm trying to say is when you when you 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 have to have a good team, meaning someone to bounce off off different ideas with, someone that can relate to you on so many different levels, and and we're doing this together um, as a couple, but we're doing this together as business partners. And the one thing I can say about moving here to Detroit, like what what Kari said, I was a transplant, growing up on the East Coast, um, living on that 95 corridor. Um, from D.C. to New York and, you know, up above is Boston, Jersey. You got Jersey, Philly, be more, all that. Um, it's You have education, you do have the arts, and you do, you have business. 
And the one thing about Detroit, which is unique, that's different to me than the East Coast in, in, a, in, a, in a certain, on a certain scale, is the organic energy that's here. And that organic energy has to do, part of it, a lot of it has to do with the arts, but also of it, all, a lot of it has to do with the history of Detroit. Um, the, the civil rights movement, everything. Um, every, it's a synergy here um, that it's kind of, it's hard to explain. You have to be here to really feel it. And for me, moving here, um, I didn't, originally I didn't know what it was. And as I, after my son was born and after really ingratiating myself with the city and, and with the family, I understood it uh, on, a, on a larger platform. And it just made me want to work hard to accomplish our goals and our dreams. And that's where, whether it's developing a film, uh, writing different treatments, um, my first my first feature, not my first feature film that that I that I wrote, but I'll say, the most poignant feature film that I've written was here in Detroit, and it was less than a year of me moving here. Dar and I moved here in '09, and after we did our play Shades of War, both of us went to work on writing, and Dar knocked out a screenplay, I knocked out a screenplay, and we were both bouncing off, getting angry at each other, critiquing each other, but it was it was love, you know what I mean? Because it was it was we respect what we were doing, so we both went back to the drawing board. It's like, okay, how about this? Okay, how about this? How about this? How about this? And it, I've I've never written like that before. I've never written to where it felt like um, it felt like it was um, it was just kind of like a shedding of skin into new skin. And a lot of that had to do with just being in the city and being in this town. So this is coming from someone who I love the East Coast. I do. I love I love D.C. I love New York, particularly Brooklyn. Love Brooklyn. And um, but Detroit is something special. Well, let's because uh, <clears throat> it's definitely feeling like an NPR interview or something right now. <laughs> so let's get into a little bit more to particulars about the city of Detroit and this experience as uh, even what Dara was saying, it's like revisionist history. Some stuff I don't even remember that she was talking about that I guess I was involved in as a child, you know, because I definitely remember that. Yes, I probably could watch two TV shows over here, but I probably could watch three TV shows next door at my grandma's house. So I took <laughs> yeah, full advantage of that whole workaround. option. So uh, I definitely wanted to uh, get in whatever I was watching at the time to connect with what I connected with uh, black culture. Now, <clears throat> When we talk about the city of Detroit and what you all bring to the table and the experiences here, let's talk really about like the stages and really how the audience receives theater, because there is a theater community in the city of Detroit. But instead of just talking about the theater community in whole, because that's kind of down that NPR route, how have the people in Detroit received, accepted, uh, taken to the plays that you all have put together? That's a really good question. Um, the first play that we put up, it was Shades of War. It's a play that I wrote that's inspired by the true story of Samuel Francis. Mm -hmm. um, he was a Haitian uh, immigrant who became a very wealthy business owner in the late 1700s. And he actually was close friends with George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, the founding fathers uh, quote unquote, and to make a long story short, his daughter Phoebe 
ended up saving George Washington's life and in an unexpected <clears throat> way. And um, Okay, now how did you find out about all this information? Because well, he sounds like the original uh, Ben Carson. Okay, <laughs> hold on. Uh, before hold we up. go there. <laughs> <laughs> don't send him down to Ben Carson Road. Nah, don't do that. Uh, don't nah. disrespect Samuel like that. Don't know. Ben got stuck on the elevator. Sam would never, never get stuck on the elevator. Never get stuck on the elevator, <laughs> elevator in the PJs. Okay, let me put it like this. When I, One of my many survival gigs, there was a time living in New York with those high rents. I was working three jobs at once. And one of my jobs was as a licensed tour guide. And in order to become a tour guide, you have to uh, pass an exam about the history of the city of New York. And mm -hmm. it's this thousand page book that you check out from how the much, library. How much of that did you actually read? I read a good I read a good amount of it because I wanted to pass the exam on the first time because it cost like a hundred and something dollars each time you take it and money was tight so I knew I couldn't fail. I needed to pass that thing the first time. So I read a mm -hmm. lot of it. Uh, I just took it with me to cafes. I took it on the subway. I just dragged it with me everywhere. Read it on my going to sleep at night. So then I came across this story of Samuel Francis. And his um, his most famous restaurant, Francis's Tavern, is still it's actually still near in the Wall Street District in Lower mm -hmm. Manhattan. It's still okay. standing, so you can go and the food is really good too. You can go and have a meal and see the pictures on the wall of the founding fathers and all that. So I'm like, man, this is a brother who was that I never heard about him in the history books, and you know, us coming from the city of Detroit and being exposed to so much uh, black history, and I'm like, hmm, this is one part of history that never was there. And I remember when. We were going around when we first came and brought the play to Detroit, and we were going around telling people, like, okay, um, this brother, his um, his daughter helped save George Washington's life, and I was talking to a lady about it, and she was like, why? <laughs> why she saved George Washington's life? What'd she do that for? It, it sounds like I want to meet this lady. <laughs> and, she, she needs to be a Detroit is <laughs> different death as well. You know, because, you know, with George Washington having owned 300 slaves and the very complicated uh relationship between no taxation without representation but i'm a, i'm gonna beat my slaves into submission you know like in other words it's not complicated liberty for liberty for me but not for thee it's it's not complicated it's it's a lot like uh the current president feels exactly entitlement exactly it just so, happens to be a settlement of white men exactly throughout history in so America. that um like we a lot of people don't know the first the first person that died for the American Revolution, for the cause of this country, was a brother, Crispus Attucks. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of that history is in New York. Mm -hmm. All of that history. Because remember, New York was like the original capital of, of, uh, of, the, of what became America. But then Thomas Jefferson, because he had his plantation, he wanted it down on the swamps in D.C. So that's how it ended up being uh, in Washington, D.C. I learned all this history from becoming a licensed tour guide. Mm -hmm. So then um, I was thinking, well, I think I'm going to write a play about this, but I'm going to take a different approach on this because I kind of felt like the same way you guys are feeling about, well, how come she saved George Washington's life and who was this Samuel Francis and why did he, what was the role he played? So I, I, I took a different dimension, a different approach to it. And mm -hmm. I added a character into the piece, um, a fugitive, a brother who actually had escaped for his freedom. His name is Gus Porter. And he is kind of like, to me, he is the the hashtag stay woke character throughout the pace. Place. The, stay, the stay woke character. He is the Black Lives Matter character. The hashtag, all the hashtags and then some. I mean, because he really mm -hmm. represents the consciousness of 
what it would be like in that era. Mm-hmm. And um, when we put on the play, you could the the what people connected to in Detroit was that Gus character. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, they didn't connect to Samuel Francis because it's just like like you said. I mean, why Ben Carson to of back in the day? <laughs> yeah, but don't it sell Sam like that though? He, he, I'm not gonna do that because Ben gives our city a bad name, man. He really does. But nonetheless, um, yeah, he's a neurosurgeon. No, I listen. If I if I need if I needed that surgery, no, 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 I'm he is. No, I mean he's good. He, <laughs> hey, I'm not trying to take away from his uh his skills in the operating room, but outside of that hospital, I don't. That's that's where you lost me. Well, it's especially when he talked about he got robbed at a Popeyes chicken at gunpoint or something, and then he said. He stepped aside and said, don't you want to get the people behind the register? Like, he didn't try to do a noble thing and help somebody. And there was no Popeye's chicken at that time in Baltimore anyway. So we'll move on from that. I digress. Hey, it's many, for, for the many people that have been robbed at a Popeye's chicken, <laughs> it's a part of the urban experience sometimes. I call that. I call that tithing the hood. <laughs> hood tithes. You, you, you don't want to pay a lot of hood tithes, but sometimes... You know, as they say, the streets is hiring. Yeah, they always are. So, so anyway, Shades of War was well received because I think what I did was I took this, this, this abstract idea of what this black man's walk would have been like at a time when our people were enslaved, but he was, um, you know, biracial at, at that time called mulatto from Haiti. Mm-hmm. You know, a man that owned five or six businesses in lower Manhattan at that time when even many white men could not afford even a little piece of property. Mm-hmm. Very wealthy. Uh, uh, you know, multimillionaire several times over by today's standards. Okay. And this was the this was the path that he took. So I, I took a different approach by adding in the Gus character and playing with things. And it was well received uh, by the Detroit audiences in a way that I didn't expect. Uh, it was also very well received. Uh, by the Harlem audiences, but the most magical moment I ever had with that play, as far as how audiences received it, was when we did it off Broadway. And when the lights came up at the end of the show, people were standing, giving a standing ovation, and in the crowd was the actress Mary Alice. And this is a sister who was in the Matrix. In a different world, she was the she was the um, she was the in the first couple seasons, of different world. She was the um, what do you call it, the dorm. The dorm, dorm supervisor. Oh, she was Sinbad's girlfriend. No, 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 not Sinbad's Sinbad. girlfriend. <laughs> no, no, no. She was the old. No, before Sinbad was on the show. <laughs> this was the season one. The season, the season one, season one. two. Marissa Tomei. Yeah, uh, exactly. Different world. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, but okay. you guys would know her from the Matrix, but she was She's also the Oracle. The she was first... the Oracle. Oh, the Oracle. Yeah, oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah, the, she the, was on there. She. Yeah. I yeah. thought she was the dean. She was no, she wasn't the dean. She wasn't the dean in different oh, okay. world. But Mary no. Alice was also the first black woman to win the Tony for Best Actress, if I'm not mistaken, for Fences with with uh, James Earl Jones. Okay, she was in the audience in Shades of War for our little show, our little off Broadway show, which, and I just was in awe of it. And she said she was tapped my shoulder and said the writing is excellent, and I was just like, That's wow. Dope. And as you talk about the writing being excellent, uh, another experience that we had with the Detroiter, your writing was so excellent that somebody <laughs> took some of your writing. Oh, well, we won't go into all the details about that. But, Ooh. yeah, actually, I have been a victim of uh, plagiarism. I have been a victim of plagiarism yes. a couple of times. That's why I tell everybody listening, if you're a writer, 
you know, just co- pay that money to the Library of Congress. Copyright your thing for 35 bucks. It'll be the best money you ever spent. And if it comes to that point where you need a, an entertainment attorney, you know, I'll give a plug for ours. She's excellent. Uh, attorney Linda Bruton, she's awesome. She's amazing. She's been there she's for amazing. us every step of the way. Uh, she's really helped us so much. And, um, I, and we are at a point where we required that. Um, I've learned so much about the entertainment business and it, it, they call it show business, but it's really business show. Have your business together. Um, the arts are beautiful. If, if you're just drawing a picture in your own room or writing a poem in your notebook as a form of self-expression, that's beautiful. But the moment that you take it out to market, it's not show business, it's business show. So make sure you have your, your business together. Don't right. cut corners. So as we talk about business show, how receptive is like what type of money can a person get? What type of money should they expect? And should they even be looking for money if they're going to do something artistic here in the city of Detroit? Because that's always a discussion I have with a lot of up and coming artists. This is my observation about the, the city of Detroit landscape. Um, number one, there is when you talk about the Detroit theater community, there is a a big audience of people waiting to support theater in the city of Detroit. And it doesn't have to be. Now, we, you and I were making jokes about a Chitlin play that was on TV just the other day talking about the Chitlin circuit. And now, look, I don't down the Chitlin circuit because I feel like, hey, it, it has a lot of people working. Those mama don't plays or mama who burnt the chicken, those kind of plays yes. that some people may look down upon. Yes. You know, I still can find entertainment value in those, but that's not the kind I of like stuff. I like seeing R&B singers from the 90s, too. <laughs> exactly. But I will say this. my <laughs> m- As an artist, as a writer, I don't write those kind of things, but... Um, I think that in Detroit, there's a viable it's an audience for that. It's yeah. For Detroit, there's a viable market for that. In fact, Tyler Perry, he didn't even become successful until he brought his first play. Lord, I know I've been changed to the Fox theater and Detroit supported Lord, that. In I droves. know I've been changed. Yes. Lord, I know I've been changed. What was that about? In 1996. I, I don't know, but I think like we were talking to cousin Betty the other day. She was like, well, all the plots are almost similar. So you just fill in the blanks yourself. Oh, okay. But Lord, I know I've been changed. He brought that to the Fox Theater in 1996, and that's when his career launched. Hmm. So people of Detroit, you launched Tyler Perry's career. Hmm. Now, for, for however you feel about Tyler Perry's work, I mean, the fact that Detroiters came out and supported him at that number, at that clip at the Fox Theater. Now, if you're doing something that's not the Chitlin Circuit, something a little bit more off the beaten path, something maybe more what we call high art, now, when I say high art, I don't mean necessarily that it's better or worse than anything else. I just mean I give that. an example that the average public would know that is okay. like a high art type of, I guess you'd say movie more so than. OK, let's use movies as example. OK, commercial film, um, uh, Fast and Furious 35. That's a commercial film. Mm-hmm. OK, yes, um, a commercial film. And I enjoyed it a great deal, but it has a lot of commercial values, but it's still based on based on a historical story. Hidden figures. I loved it. But it the way the story is told, it definitely has um, uh, it's an inspirational, upbeat feel, but it, it doesn't necessarily veer off of a um, certain type of storylines that are more or less perpetuated in Hollywood major motion pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love Hidden Figures, and I cried at the end when I saw the pictures of those sisters that actually did that. I didn't know that. I did not know that history, that they did that at NASA. 
Um, that's an example of that. Another commercial film could be like a anime, a cute kids animation like the Smurfs or something. Okay. Now let's talk about something that's high art. High art is something that comes out at Sundance. It's like this this funky movie about a guy that locks himself into a room and starts talking to the walls. That's high art. It does it's not something. mean that the film <laughs> is good or bad. Uh, it just means that it has a very uh, narrow audience, a small audience of people that will sit there and watch that movie for two hours mm-hmm. of a man sitting in It's a lot of people that would love to go see a Hidden Figures or a Fast and Furious 8 or something like that. I would say on a on a animation level, when, when Dara mentioned the Smurfs, um, there's a movie that came out last summer. But you had two, two big commercial films in 2016. You had, I mean, one, I'll just use one example, uh, uh, Zootopia or uh, Moana. And then you had this, I guess you can call it how this this film called Kubo and the Two Strings, and it's by a company called Leica. Mm-hmm. And Leica, um, long story short, they might not be in business anymore because they do high art, h- higher art than your commercial animations like Minions or anything else. It's Kubo and the Two Strings. Another one is Coraline that they do, um, Box Trolls, and it's stop motion. So they take a lot of time in uh, creating. Um, different scenes, but long story stop short, stop motion isn't that wasn't Gumby stop motion? Yes, yes. and it's very tedious. It's tedious uh, because the person actually has to manually, yeah, uh, like with Gumby, each thing he was clay claymation. So every time Gumby moved, you had mm-hmm. to take a different picture of exactly. Gumby, right? Right. So it, if it, Gumby, like, Gumby couldn't just eyes. like make make a walk because then it start messing with people, it'd be like this looks horrible. Right. So if Gumby blinks his eyes, that may comprise of twenty pictures. Mm-hmm. So there were 20 different movements for Gumby to blink his, his eyes. Mm-hmm. So somebody had to sit there and touch him 20 times to make him close and open his eyes again. So that's how tedious stop motion with, is. With Moonlight, and I haven't seen it. Would that be that's considered high art? Moon, moon, that's yeah, moon, it's Either high or just they call it... Um, I, I use the term Art house. Art. They'll say art, art house, house or, or something. That I use high the, art because it's like high art means... You know, I'm I'm doing me. I'm I'm doing what I want to do. This is a, a creative expression that's not necessarily fixated on the commercial box office. Okay, so with that difference, if you're doing high art in Detroit, if you have a voice that you want to tell, what suggestions do you have, David? What ex- what suggestions do you have, Dar? I mean, this is my suggestion to anybody. If it's high art or if you want to do anything commercial, um. First thing you should do to me, and this would generally how I think, and this is the way Dar and I powwow. I generally Dar come up with an idea or a story, and I break it down as far as audience, especially when it comes to the film stuff. Audience, what, where we need to veer off with it, and what are we trying to say? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we've been together for a long period of time, so we kind of speak the same language. We know what, we're, what, what, what we want out of a project. But for somebody in Detroit, first get your story out. Write it down. Get it out your system. All right. Well, now, when you say get your story out, I mean get it I've out never, your system. I've never written anything in my life other than like I think I know the story. So, what is the process to writing a story? Well, I'll I'll give some pointers to that. For my process is to actually start off with a simple idea. Let's go back to the idea of the person that locks himself into the room to try to okay. exercise some demons or something. Yes. You write down the general idea and then you do an outline. Mm -hmm. So with the outline, you can have bullet points of, well, 
I want this to happen, that to happen. I may only have 10 or 12 points in it. Sometimes I may do a more detailed outline. Sometimes I just do a rough one and change it as I go. And then the most important thing is understand the format of the the various uh, media that you're writing for. So if it's a play, uh, I, I recommend downloading the free software Celtics for a, a stage play. If it's um, Celtics, also can do uh, screenplays screen plays as and well. TV shows as well. Um, there's also Adobe Story, which is great for um, for uh, film scripts and television scripts. You can use that software. Those those software things can help you format so you don't have to do all those paragraph tabs yourself. You can just focus on writing. In fact, once you come up with a character name, let's say your character name is Tony. So when you're writing the script, as opposed to having to write Tony over and over again, as soon as you type the letter T, the Tony will show up. The, the, it'll know you're trying to talk about Tony. And then if you have like a, a Tammy and a Tony, then you can type T-A for Tammy and it'll know that's Tammy that those things will make the process go a lot faster. Now, some of this software is free and it'll save you about, I don't know, 20 hours worth of work. Let me ask you this. Now, when you said you make an outline first, do you make an outline with the definite end to the story or do you even think that through or is it just like, all right, I want a black superhero. I think for me personally, I like to think through that ending because sometimes the hardest part can be, how do you end it? And usually when you watch a movie, the part that's going to let you down the most, like if you watch a movie and you're enjoying it for a certain amount of time, the ending can let you down more than anything. The last like 10 minutes of the movie, it's like, what the heck? What did they do? You know, so having a solid ending is imperative. So I always think through that. Now I may change ideas as I go. Mm-hmm. And as I'm writing the meat of the story, because uh, I've also written a lot of novels too. So it's like once you, another thing about writing is once you write one thing, it's like, it's almost like cooking. The first time you cook a new recipe, it may not come out the way that you expect. You know, maybe a little bit, maybe you added a little too much pepper. Maybe, you know, you left it on the stovetop a little too long. Something wasn't right about it. It's like, you'll eat it, but mm. but as you keep cooking it, the next time you cook it. And if you say, if imagine if you cook that meal every day for a month. I always tell writers... If you to all these people tell me I'm too busy, I don't have time. Well, I work every day and I gotta take care of my kids. What if okay, you gotta you gotta wake up for work at six thirty or six o'clock in the morning. What if you woke up at five o'clock and you wrote for half an hour and then you made yourself a pot of coffee and got your day started? Or if that was too much for you, at the end of the day, how do most people want wine? They usually watch T V. How much TV do you watch? Are you watching two hours worth of TV? What if you just watch one hour worth of TV and you wrote for an hour? What if you split the baby like that so that maybe you watch TV from 9 to 10 and you write from 10 to 11 and call it a night like that? You know, find time to add it into your day. And then it's almost like with people like exercise, it becomes a part of your life. All right. Now, as you talked about, you get better at the meal. I'm going to bring up another project specifically that you did. And it was actually a movie that you shot in New York, but you used a heck of a resource from Detroit. And that was Sweeter Without Sugar. And it's a story of a young lady that has diabetes. And I, I actually liked the story. It was it was fun. I was 
like looking at the whole production set and the value of everything. And I've seen some things on set for a while. My cousin Devin, our cousin, uh, was definitely helpful. It was unique. And like I kept saying, I was like, damn, I can't believe you got all these people to work for free. And uh, people were definitely committed. But looking even back at that story when you did that, you could tell a little bit of the story. But as you talk about you would go back, have you ever gone back and thought about redoing that story or any of the other stories you've ever done before and taking another look at it? And if so, how would you do it? I didn't really think about doing Sweeter Without Sugar per se again, but I did love doing that project. I was very grateful to have Eric Kilpatrick as my director. Um, he saw the script and he really liked it. He People may have known him as an actor from Cornbread Earl and me. Yes, yeah, he was in White Shadow. And he was also in White Shadow. And then it, it definitely in New Jack City. Yeah, because remember when, uh, okay, so Chris Rock played Pookie and then Eric had the line when Pookie was about to leave rehab and then Eric was like, don't leave before the miracle happens. Yes. So there were definitely days on the set where things were so stressful that I was looking at the crew like, don't leave before the miracle happens. You know, uh, I don't think anybody was uh, getting high, but it was it was quite an ordeal. Those were long days. I mean, when you're talking about 18 hour days for 11 days straight, you're just half delirious. You're barely making it. But my team stayed with me to the end. I was grateful. I was so grateful to God that we actually did that. I mean, you you came on board from the D. Our cousin Devin, he was the DP because we ended up having a cat. Our, our original DP was a to quote Shades of War, a casualty of the revolution. Yes, he sure <laughs> was. He sure was. And then um, my mom came, and she was basically like the production coordinator. She did everything. She drove the van. She made sure the food was laid out. She made sure people had their call times. She there made were sure people called. ate, actually, too. Yeah, they, they needed to eat. So it was, it was quite an experience. Um, but... I learned so much from doing Sweeter Without Sugar. The most, if I could go back in time, the one thing I would do different though is I would think through my distribution a lot more. Like David always, well, you can say what you want. See, this is where, and going back to your question, the original question of uh, what would you tell Detroiters as far as like after you get the story out, once you mm-hmm. get the story out, you gotta, you gotta have to know the path of your project. And that's where the business part comes in. Okay, break that down a little bit. Okay, basically, whatever you're writing, a play, a movie, a TV show, you want to know what I call, you want to know your exit route. You're on this highway, this creative highway, you have to have an exit route to where you want your project to be seen, to be purchased, uh, to showcase your work one way or another. And um, a big part of that has nothing to do with the creative part. It's just purely business. That's looking at your project, knowing your audience, knowing what genre it is, knowing the be- is it. I, I give you, I give you a perfect example. Um, when Dar and I often talk about Tyler Perry, we just we just mentioned Tyler Perry. Mm-hmm. Tyler Perry came out at a time where his plays led to DVDs, which led to films, which led to TV, mm-hmm. and. He did that. Basically, no one in the world hasn't done anything like that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it happened organic at the perfect time in America. It happened at the time in, in black America where we were thirsty and hungry for 
something non Hollywood that was more us. Even though it was, even if it wasn't us, it was something we at least um, could recognize a bit. Now, mm-hmm. for the for the person starting out, you're not going to have that that uh, that advantage that Tyler did. But what you are going to have is kind of um, a kind of a blueprint to see okay okay if you're making a, a romance you got we uh the we channel you have centric you have uh hallmark, T- channel. hallmark channel okay if you're making tv1 one. TV if you're making uh, a purity action film or action t- a tv show there's spike tv and maybe fx mm-hmm. um if you're making a suspense thriller, kind of creepy type of type of TV show. Okay, you may have AMC, or no, you may have FX because you have um, uh, horror, the American horror, American history mm-hmm. horror. I forget the name of the title of that show. And you also have the Sci-Fi Channel. So basically, just know where you want to put your project, and mm-hmm. you can't. And this is where you have to separate your the heart and the brain. You put all your heart into your project and writing and creating, and this is your baby. But understand, once it's done. Once it's done, it is a property and you have to treat it as such. And you have to be extremely objective on where you go with it. And and you, you can't hold on to hold on to it like like it's your baby. And I want to see it run. I want to see it do this. If you if you if you want to break into the business and mm-hmm. part of it is writing a a, a, a great piece. Uh, whether it's a play, film, or television show, and the next part is knowing where you want to put it. Okay. Yeah. Now, as you talk about that, and it's funny uh, that you mention that, as I'm still editing the comedy show that I shot this past year, and I've been talking to different people about how I want to go about releasing and distributing mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. And what I'm coming to find is there are so many different streaming services now. Yes. Right. But yes. I've seen some of these streaming services contracts where they would, it's different contracts definitely for the person starting off. So yes. like the person oh, starting off like me, Netflix could possibly buy my property for $2,500 and they mm-hmm. own the rights for that for well, now and forever more. Yes. Well, but then I could look at it and say to myself, okay, I may have an option to buy it back. I right. may ha- also have the option of saying that, okay, with this Netflix opportunity, I can get into different doors as well. Right. Yes. But and it can the open different exposures for you. I mean everything is a trade off, right? Mm-hmm. Because like you said with the twenty five hundred dollars, now Netflix doesn't they make you sign a deal that says if you get a Netflix deal, you cannot disclose the exact amount. Mm-hmm. But I have seen some blogs out there where people will say, I'm not supposed to write about this but Yes. So it could be as little as fifteen hundred dollars, as little as twenty thousand dollars. It could be. It could be. As and we've seen, Dave people, Chappelle, he just got. Yeah. Yeah. Like, for some well, people, you know, they're yeah. getting half a million, a million dollars. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. Adam yeah. Yeah. Yes. is. Yeah. Uh, and Marlon Wayans has one out yes. there now yes. too. But, well, that's, I mean, but that, that's those a are those level. people. But we're thinking about you, even from an independent, you, disp- right. even from an independent perspective. And then I'm going to talk about as you know this whole concept of what I'm doing with Detroit is different. Is like. Issa Rae and mm-hmm. right. so many mm-hmm. of these different yeah, people yeah, building yeah. their own platforms and I definitely think you probably end up with a different right. ne- negotiation as opposed to as you say like just going straight to Netflix it's like Netflix is going to say okay this is good but yeah let me just but, give you and then you also have to think about it from this perspective like I oh and this is the one thing I'm learning especially as I spend more time in this business 
you know, you don't want to get so fixated on something like that's my baby. That's my baby. You know, your baby is, is, is a real person that you love and care about in your life or your child or something like that. It's not a property. You mm-hmm. have to think like, well, if I made that one, I can make, make another, another one. one. You can't get so fixated mm-hmm. on that because even though you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into these things, you have to think, OK, if I was on Netflix, how could that help me grow my audience? Could I add my website into the credits and could I put a hashtag Detroit is different mm-hmm. and have people come and follow me and become a part of my circle? And then that expand my brand to where maybe the next time I'm going straight to Amazon and getting that money in my pocket. Mm-hmm. I'm not even doing another Netflix deal. Now, as you talk about that, what happens when you're an independent that does it where this is generally been my approach. And as we talk about creatives, I look to build my own organization, distribute it myself and do everything I can. So if you exhaust all your options, do you think that that changes the way that a distribution network may look at you? Meaning like if I were to have sold X amount independently Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to Netflix like, all right, I've sold this much. Now do you want it? I'm going to tell you nowadays, at least from what I gather from um again blogs and different outlets um youtube uh different youtube channels that talk about this um it's not even so much what you what you sell it's how many eyeballs do you have looking at you mm-hmm. how many subscribers do you have looking at you when you mentioned isa isa ray from uh was it was it insecure she does insecure she did, um, and now she's doing girl. aqua right yeah, yeah right the Awkward Black Girl Awkward is Black- her web is her web right. series. Why well, was the web series that opened and up a whole network of other web series? Exactly, right. and see, and see, that's the thing. That's that was one big, I, I guess you can say, one big loss leader because that wasn't a financial ba- breakthrough. But what it was was a a huge, uh, long commercial for her. It's a huge, uh, you know, way of exposure, and. I think with De- right. with Detroit is different, and for what you're trying to build, um, and as well with the with the comedy, um, there's a couple of routes there. One, mm-hmm. like you said, that, like what Dar was talking about, the Netflix route. If you take the twenty five hundred or twenty five thousand, whatever it is, and it's a okay, it's a deal, and you get that exposure on there, and it could open the doors for for other things. But another route is okay. I'm going to keep building it. And let's say, let's say you start getting uh, like 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 subscribers mm-hmm. to 100,000 to 500,000. You know, you start growing. If you lock in Detroit, lock, just lock in Detroit or, 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 you know, parts of different parts of Michigan or Detroit, Cleveland, whatever, just to that this, this Midwest area period, you start locking it down in a way where you get eyeballs. You understand that networks, Netflix, streaming, whomever is fighting for eyeballs. Okay. So if you get eyeballs, mm-hmm. you get, you get, you get, you get that ear from the corporate and then the wild star opening. Now, up. let me ask you this in that same perspective mm-hmm. as uh, what I've done. And right now you all have kind of made a transition. We're almost switching sides in the sense of you all took on big productions involving different people, whether it be film and also theater. And now I'm taking on more productions with involving more people. And you all are kind of transitioning into animation and also just writing, what happens as the success 
or I guess I should say the perception of success, but the project starts getting off the ground when those people that were a part of that team and that production, what starts to change? How do you still temper all of their emotions and all of their anxiety? Because I can only imagine what it's like sometimes where a person opens up the newspaper and sees that, oh man, this play that I'm in is mm-hmm. in the newspaper. Yeah, so, we actually hey. Had, yeah, we had those moments. Let's renegotiate. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, bird in the Midnight Falcons. And, and let's <laughs> say this, that's, that's whether you're in Detroit or New York. Yeah, we had we it had both. We had, we had yeah, situations. We both times. So and bird midnight and the Falcons, y'all. This is what I honestly think. <laughs> My this office is what I, hours. <laughs> 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 oh, <not. laughs> oh, man. Yeah, now that. Okay. That hit home. That hit yeah, home, Cardi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, the five heartbeats had it. That was, that was the original Shug Knight. What I was going to say is, um, this is it. What it comes down to is, especially in Detroit, but even in New York and some things, but especially in Detroit. What I found is now this 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 town right here, this is a town where people clock in, they work, they they work hard, but they expect to get paid. They everybody expects to be paid. Like you were the one that told me that that mm-hmm. some of the things that we did in New York, where people said I'm gonna do this for my resume, my reel, or my experience, that doesn't fly here. You were the one that told me that, and I was like, okay, you're right. Um, it, so it means that expectations of what what it is. It, it, it has to be laid out clearly. So what I find is put everything in writing, put it all down in writing and let help people manage their expectations. Now, oftentimes with what we, the way we did our cast and stuff, sometimes we would pay everybody the same amount. That way that eliminates, um, he getting, you know, he getting a hundred dollars more than me. She getting $200 more than him. He's getting $50 on the side. It eliminates that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember it got to the point, it got so funny sometimes one time where everybody was getting paid the salary, the same salary, but one cast member was asking, he was putting in riders like he wanted, um, uh, uh, certain types of coffees and cookies and everything in his dressing room. I need to meet this gentleman as well. And, uh, oh and boy. I was like, oh I was like, I would like to do that for you, but it would be unfair to <laughs> the other nine cast members, you know, because that, you know, this and the third, we got to show camaraderie, but <laughs> At the end of the day, um, managing people's expectations, it, it can be difficult because when you have, when people look at you and they see, like, you know, I won't go into a whole lot of details because I'm not at liberty to say some things right now. But when people see, like, man, Kari's, um, Kari's right wagon is about to take off for the stars. I'm going to hitch my wagon to that. I'm going to hitch, you know, I'm going to hitch my wagon to mm-hmm. that star. When people see that you're on the rise, of course their expectations are higher. Um, because to be honest with you, and I, and I don't want to sound cynical, but there are so many people every day who go around saying what they about to do, what they finna do, what they gonna do, but they don't actually deliver. You've actually put on several productions. You actually have a track record of things that you've done that you can look to your body of work and people in this community know the kind of stuff that you do so mm-hmm. if i'm affiliated with you i already know at the very minimum i'm actually he's actually going to deliver on what he said i'm actually going to get a chance to perform on the set i'm going to be able to do this i'm going to be do, doing that so people's minds go to a higher space for us we have a track record of what we've done we never have to pull out of a production everything and there was mm-hmm. one production we thought we might have to pull out of but we found a way mm-hmm. to get through it didn't we mm-hmm. yeah we did we found a way to get through it 
Yeah, we did. <laughs> so, anyhow, <laughs> what I'm saying is, <laughs> what I'm saying is, we actually have a track record of what we set out to do. We do it. Mm-hmm. Now, many people in this business, it's not like that at all. Both of us have worked with people. I'm finna do. I'm gonna do. You may even start working with these people, yeah. and then now, they just kind of go. Now, let me say this. That same. Yourself. That same idea of things not happening because of a lot of things that are external factors, I have found that that also happens on a major level, too, as Absolutely. much as yes. it may happen on Absolutely. a small yes, level. It does. Absolutely. So it may happen at the Fox Theater play as the same way it may happen at the church play. That's right. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. It happens. Um, and it's And I think that in order to deliver, that's why sometimes I feel I feel so much pressure at times to to deliver and push something to the finish line if I, if I start out on a project, to not back down from it. Um, because I remember there was even one show that we did when we produced Bazil's show in New York. Our, our good mm, friend had proper. a one-man show that we decided to produce, but we really didn't have the proper time to promote it. So we ended up with a very small audience for that show. Broke our hearts. It was, And it hurt us because yeah. we really wanted to um, do better, and we didn't cancel the show. We just went through with it. Bit off more, more than we could chew in that particular production because we just got off Shades of War. Actually, it was in succession. Uh, it was like one week after one week one. after another. Yeah, got married, did passing, went right into Shades of War, and then we went right then into we, that. Then we went right into Skin Pop, and we didn't get a chance to really pr- pr- promote it. Uh, and we were coming off a high, really, after mm-hmm. passing in Shades of War. It was like this. So high. you guys were feeling yourself. We you were just, yeah. actually we were after Mary Alice said love the writing. And yeah. after uh-huh. and after everybody, um, the show when it was off Broadway it was building an audience. Like if we could have did a, a month run easy, and we only had room for two weeks, mm-hmm. and it was just the energy was good and the, the actors were really getting in, uh, they really were getting, getting into, into their space, getting to their yeah. spaces, and it was it was it was amazing. Um, and in our friend's show, Basil has an amazing show that deals with heroin addiction. And um, he's from Philadelphia. This is a very talented actor, writer that we've both know. David's known him longer than me. Uh, we were both at the Negro Ensemble Company I, together. I saw his show, and I was mm-hmm. just in awe of it. And I and I love I love one person shows. I love them to write them, and I also love them to just sit in the audience and observe them. And I wanted this to reach an audience, but we just fell flat because sometimes when you do so much, something's going to fall something's through the cracks. Fall to but now, in the end, I'm kind of glad we just went through with it because even though we only had a small audience, I remember one of my friends, well, let uh, me say, Ronnie, wait, was like, before was you, up. <laughs> Before you even get to that point, let me say this just as a performer myself. I definitely think that the intimate show in the intimate crowd, if the people stay there, if it's like two or three in the audience and they connect with you, those people will be your fans and your supporters for life. And it's not even necessarily fandom as much as it's like a cultural connection that they'll have and probably commit to what you're going to do. And most stories I hear of most opportunities, it always comes from when that person's in the crowd with four other people and they think to themselves, damn, this is very quality. Why are more people here? And then that urges of Mm. whoever that person in the audience is to go get others to be a part of whatever that experience is. So I've always been a strong proponent of when it's less rock harder, because that's really where you get that person to say, let me go on and get on the phone with my cousin. 
Yeah. Let me go yeah. on and yeah, yeah, yeah. talk to my nephew. Let me go on and get this in yeah. front of the person that I know that can put this in a better platform or stage. Whereas when I walk into an audience that's fully packed and everybody's there, I'm rarely thinking to myself, oh, man, let me go on and call Tyler Perry because that's my best friend and say, hey, you want to check right. this out? Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then speaking of Tyler, actually, that's how his jump off happened. He was, you know, at a time he was homeless in his car, living in his car. He had gone through all these things, finally got back on his feet in Atlanta, put on the show, Lord, I Know I've Been Changed, at the theater down in Atlanta, had a very small audience of only about 14 people. Mm-hmm. But one of those 14 people turned out to become one of his investors. Yeah. And that investor helped bring him to Detroit to the Fox Theater. Ain't and the rest something. is history. Every story, generally most stories start like that with performers. It's rare that it was the packed show. Now, I'm definitely not saying that I'm not trying <laughs> to pack the show. But I'm just trying to urge of all you performers and all you people mm-hmm. putting on productions to know that generally those smaller stages when it's few people, that's when whoever did stay is really staying because Every social cue is staying for you to walk in there and say, hell no, I'm not staying. So it really has to be quality for you to stay when it's a room that holds 100 and it's only six people in there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's like what you said. That's when you have to go the hardest. I mean, uh, Brazil went hard every time. Yeah, he did, actually. Actually, That's that's, that's kind of what I learned a lot from him. He's, he's He's a bit older than me. Uh, but I look at him as like a uh, older brother, and he kind of did it as working with Dar and I. He saw how hungry we were. He always did as a favor because he was already, actually, he was already going, already going along with his show for a long period of time. And when Dar did passing, the first time she did passing was when it was at a when Bazil was doing his show, and she saw the space for it at the Shrine Theater in Harlem, and I was working on Lights and Sound. And, uh, and you introduced me to the theater owner, I and I told, and I pitched the theater owner. David introduced me to the owner, and I pitched him my idea for passing. Now that is definitely a trait where I am a lot like my sister. If we see opportunity in a room, <laughs> and no matter who that opportunity is, we will say it. We are not that person that's going to sit around and be in a room with whoever that is. If 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 mm-hmm. if the idea is to say we need M&Ms to finish making this cake decoration and it's a person that just walked in the room and they have M&Ms, hey, M&M man, (laughs) give us some M&Ms. And it's not even necessarily a pitch as if, please, sir, give us some M&Ms. It's more so like, you have M&Ms. Mm-hmm. I have a need for those M&Ms. Exactly. This should right. work out exactly, because no we both have something exactly. of value to work with each other. Right. And and then with him, uh, the owner of the theater, um, I pitched it to him. He was like, cool. And he just pulled out his calendar and said, okay, uh, let me see. I don't have any openings until December. I'm all booked, but... I'll let you have this night. I'll do a split ticket with you, meaning that I didn't have to pay to rent the theater. He was just going to take half of the box office. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, mm-hmm. I get to basically produce my show and see how it goes without having those out-of-pocket no, expenses. Yeah, yeah. For, the, so, for the house. And then the night of the show, Ooh. walk into the theater, man. It's a guy up there on the ladder saying, oh, man, he was banging at the furnace. It, it was cold. It was brick cold in there. It was like early December. I want to say it was like 10 degrees outside and it was colder inside. And he was like, I'm almost finished. And then half an hour later, he was like, I got to go. The heat wasn't back on. So now my opening night is ice cold. You can literally see 
your breath inside of this venue. And as Devin was taking tickets at the door, I gave him some hot chocolate. And I was just like, I don't know if people are going to stay. I was like, we probably won't be here longer than about 15 minutes. And they'll probably walk back out. My audience had on their coats. Yes, indeed. They had on hats. David was in the audience. They had on hats and coats and gloves. They brought out uh, hot chocolate and tea to them. And my actress, bless her heart, she was on that stage. It was supposed to take place in Georgia, so she had on a skirt and a short sleeve blouse. <laughs> and you could see her blouse, her breath, and her cheeks were all red from how cold it was up in there. And she was shivering, but she she got through the whole thing. And people stayed. And people clapped. And in that audience was somebody from the Negro Ensemble Company who said, we want to produce this to be a part of our regional production. Mm. So it's kind of like what you said sometimes you got to just go through with it. And in my mind, I was thinking like, I'm ready to go home too. It was so cold up in there, but people stayed. Um, that's how I knew I had something with passing. That's how I knew that because I, 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 I didn't know I wouldn't have stayed in any 10 degree theater. And at the time we, in, in our apartment, we didn't have any heat either. So I <laughs> left the cold theater and went back and we didn't have heat or hot water, but you know what? I did have a chance to get my next show produced. Mm. So, you know, I wasn't too downhearted about it. I just poured me some whiskey in my hot chocolate and celebrated it all the same. All right. So as we coming up to an end of this interview, and we definitely will have to get you back in full effect to talk some Detroit is different stuff. I want to talk right now a couple things. What are the current projects from both of you all? What are you all working on? And then we'll get into like the classic Detroit is different questions. Well, Right now, uh, I'm on pause from working on anything other than preparing to move. <laughs> That's uh, the major project. Uh, I do have an NBA book on Amazon right now. And I'm also. What's the name of it? Oh, my NBA book. Forgive it? me. Yes, you can buy it on mm-hmm. Amazon. It's called the NBA, not just a league, but a movement. And I also have another book called Is God Watching? It's God Watching, which is um, a suspense thriller that I'm going to be re-editing and working on as well as this my screenplay the 29th which i'll get back on once we finish moving okay uh for me i'm in post-production on my cg animated feature the sky princess starring vivica fox uh robert gossett you guys may remember him the brother from the closer and also angel conwell who i love her from baby boy she was omar f's girlfriend yes. when he's like i feel like i can't be a man Yes. And she's also uh, yes. the lead actress. Unstable creatures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's, yeah. And she's actually the lead actress also for the TV series Family Time on Bounce. So mm-hmm. um, um, impulse on that. Uh, things Exciting things are happening. I'm going to have some big news really soon on that, probably within a few weeks. So yeah. um, my distributors out in California, uh Phil Gorin is also the executive producer on this project, and it's it's moving along really well. Okay. All right. So just quick, what goes into an animated feature, and how did you even get into knowing how to do all this stuff? What goes into an animated feature is <laughs> just <laughs> trying to keep your sanity. <laughs> trying to, It's a lot of work. Um, mm-hmm. Ever since I was a little girl, and now you know how much I love Little Mermaid, you know, I took on the challenge of wanting to do, I did a lot of animated shorts, but I wanted to always do a feature. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do a CG animated feature. I wanted to do a 3D animation. I wanted to push myself 
mm-hmm. because I'd done a lot of 2D digital stuff and I wanted to go to the third dimension. So I pushed myself. I took in college, I took Maya and 3D Max courses, but that was some years ago. So I had to refresh my memory on how to use all the software. Um, I had to uh, manage a team of people to help me uh, direct a lot of different actors in the voice recording studio the in the booth um uh sketch out all of my ideas write a script i mean it, it it's this journey has been like a, a two and a half year journey like it's it's been it's been quite a journey yes and as you talk about the little mermaid i definitely do have to drop a hat uh drop a big big applause as i definitely think one of the biggest things that any parent can do is sit through a movie that they probably don't want to watch and the little mermaid and ducktales were the only two movies that our dad took us to when we were children yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and he actually sat through the whole so yes him sitting through ducktales and the little mermaid as an adult I, kudos to him but i'm mad he took us to see coming to america yes I, it seems like he should have took us to see yes coming to america five heartbeats or any of the other more culturally black appropriate would have <laughs> wanted to set through or would it would have wanted to sit through if you were an adult because i know the little mermaid had to be but you know what? Dad liked the Little Mermaid. He likes Sebastian. Likes Sebastian. He likes Sebastian. Yeah. You know that yeah. that crap. He had a Caribbean guy. Yeah, he liked that, and I, I like Sebastian too. And the thing about it is that, um, you know, I didn't really connect to the other Disney animations as much, like Cinderella or Snow White. But there was something about the Little Mermaid that stuck out to me, and um, it just stayed with me through the years. And I was like, oh, I would love to see a princess that looks more like me more like my niece more like you know more like us and mm-hmm. to celebrate that because um everybody is talking about black girl magic and all of this that and the third so and i and i and i embrace that i love that so all of my characters have natural hair they have um different skin tones they represent the entire rainbow that's us um i have I have animals, I have different creatures in there. It's it's just a, a fun tale about a girl who actually dreams of becoming an African princess and she gets her wish with the help of a magical bird and there's a lot of twists and turns along the way. So I'm really excited. All right, so now on to the classic Detroit is different questions. First question, what was the first car that both of you all owned? I know Dar's answer, so David, what was the first car that you owned? And when? what year did you get it and what year was it made? It was a 1995 red Rodney King Hyundai XL. Uh, it looked like that already know. comes with a bad, hey, bad omen. But you know what though? <laughs> that car was good to me. It, it took me from DC to not just New York City to Long Island. Okay, uh, I had a girlfriend in Long Island, and believe me, that Hyundai, you know, it was it was good to me. And I and um actually it was a gift um. From my sister and brother-in-law, T and Ron, love love them, and they knew I needed a car. What what year? It was a ninety three, I believe, a ninety three Hyundai XL. But you got it in ninety five. I got it in ninety five. It's not that bad. And it was yeah, a first ride. Good. It was yeah. well, first it was a, um it was a it was a f- um fourth 
five speed. Five, it was a sh- stick shift, oh, but it didn't have six gears. Air conditioning in your first ride. Oh, no, I had no air conditioning. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Windows uh, was, uh, was down. And it wasn't power steel. I had to, <laughs> had to roll power windows. I had to roll, roll that window down. All right, Dara, what For was your me, first ride? Uh, in the year 2000, I got my great aunt Ruth's 1984 Buick Century, which I named her Lucky Luscious. Now, Lucky Luscious actually did have the automatic windows. She actually did have that. And she had AC. Mm-hmm. But uh, she just didn't always have... Lucky <laughs> Luscious went through a lot of different things. Yes, she did. She did. There was a point where Lucky Luscious couldn't make left turns, so I had to figure out how to get around <laughs> making all rights. <laughs> yes, my sister, went, my sister went from driving to work. Like on Monday, it's a taking the fecal on Thursday. <laughs> I took the bus a lot. Um, the eighteen, it, it humbled me too. Taking the bus in the city of Wait, Detroit. Wait, it's more is than like, it's more than the bus taking the fecal. Yeah, because the bus. Okay, let's put it like this. Okay, it's a couple of different bus routes in Detroit that it's just like, okay, this is the bus taking <laughs> the Jefferson in certain places. That's the bus. That's that's public transportation. Taking the Woodward in certain places. That's public transportation. <laughs> I don't care where you get on the 18. <laughs> it is it is a cultural dynamic in Detroit. Oh, yeah. There ain't nothing like it. <laughs> on it the was fecal. A, it was a character-building experience. It was a character-building experience. <laughs> the fecal is. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it humbled me a lot. It made me, uh, yeah. I saved like a dog till I could buy my next car. That's how the I did. Finkel. The yeah, fink, the fecal. Yeah, the fecal inspired me to save my money. So I was on a, I was on a fixed budget. Just yes. working hard and saving every dollar I could. Yes. And then I saved up enough to buy a uh, a Kia, a little Kia Sophia. Yes. The, mm-hmm. the the Finkel is definitely one of those buses where you want to sit in the front. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be cool on the Finkel. It's <laughs> <laughs> nah. so all of our D-Dot drivers out there. More power oh, yeah. to you. I, I got love Especially if you drives. had that route. If, yeah. if I assume the, the route I want is Woodward. Like I said, Jefferson. Certain parts of Jefferson. Yeah. Maybe certain parts of Grand River. Yeah, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's rough. When you mentioned the Finkel and how rough it was. I just realized my my Hyundai wasn't a ninety three; it was an eighty nine. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was an eighty nine. Oh, but that's still not too bad, though. I mean, nah, you had to see her. You had to see. I her. had to see her. Uh, eighty nine and ninety five. That's that's that's. Uh, How about an eighty four and two thousand though? That's uh, yeah, eighty four and two thousand. Yeah, yeah. that will lead you to ride that eighteen in the same week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, if you could rename Woodward after one D trader, who would it be and why? That's a good one. Um, man, Detroit has so many people that are so impactful. Um, maybe, maybe Arma Henderson. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I think that it still kind of hurts my heart that Detroit hasn't had a woman as mayor yet. It's time for us to. I mean, we make up more than half the population of this city, of this country. Um, I would just like to see a strong sister that, you know, yeah, well, as a reminder. As racist as this region is, it may be a little bit more sexist. It's just you ain't kidding. Depending upon you ain't the kidding. perspective. You ain't kidding. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
his name just left my brain. What um, did he do? Actually, he was a good friend. You 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 uh you wrote about him. You talked about him. Uh, he Milton good, Henry. Milton Henry. I I definitely. Oh, Milton Henry. Yeah. Um, I think Woodward. Woodward. It's uh the the, the spine of Detroit. Mm-hmm. So when I think about Milton Henry, that's kind of what I think when I think about his journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for for black folks, and kind of what you what what he saw, like if if streets could talk, I'm mm-hmm. sure we would we, we say a lot from downtown all the way up to eight mile, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's why I say okay. Don Henry spaceship lands in the middle of Detroit and asks you to take them to the most Detroit place that you can think of. Where are you taking them? Mm. I may take them to I may take them to Burt's. Okay. At Eastern Market because that's my joint. Okay. That's 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 the place where you can hang out with some folks. Some of the other places have closed in recent years, but Burt's has kept on pushing. Um uh maybe Bakers is cool too. I mean it's a few it's a few little spots. So Burt's. Burt's. Okay. Let's get that catfish special. Mm. I'm torn. Can I, can I give them two places to, to go eat? It's got to be one. Dar just gave two, so you might as well give two. I would say Turkey Grill. Okay. <laughs> and ENS. Oh, the ENS. Nah, 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 don't, don't say ENS. 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 If the man. ENS, I take it back. I take it back. I'm sorry. Let me rewind. Let me rewind. As much as I love the Turkey Grill, keep it. Keep it. How how I would how I would do it? I it'd be Caribbean Kitchen and ENS. Okay, both of those places are places that will give you a good taste of the Detroit experience. More so ENS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love ENS. Love love first time going there. First time going in, I was just like looking at the wall, and you know looking at. Uh, the sister back there with her, with the son. I think that's her son in the back. I don't know the owner or anything, but mm-hmm. just you know, it was family. And it's a fish place. Yeah, on the west side, real good shrimp, amazing shrimp. Yes, indeed. And just yeah. like Caribbean Kitchen, you'll call in your order, and I still don't think they make it. Nah, exactly. <laughs> it's just like that. Yeah, you call in your order and you get to the window, be ready to pay, and then it'll be like ten minutes. And you'll be like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I got call in? <laughs> So, yeah, so classic Detroit places. All right, tell the people where they can get in contact with you. Um, check us out on uh the website theskyprincess.com. We have another website coming really soon for our, our whole production company, yes. noblepeakinc.com. That's noble N O B L E Peak P E A K I N C. All right. Thank yes. you so much. Thank you. Thank you.